everyone and welcome back to another book podcast. This week we were incredibly lucky to have the CEO of Unbound, Will Harris, in the office. For those of you who don't know, Unbound is an independent publishing company with a unique twist. All of their titles are crowdfunded, meaning that their titles are selected and funded by readers. I had an incredibly interesting chat with Will all about Unbound and how it's paved a new path in the industry, as well as discussing the future of publishing and the role AI might play going forward. I had such a great time chatting with Will, this truly is one of the most interesting conversations I've ever had about publishing and biscuits. We hope you enjoyed the episode. As per usual, a quick disclaimer. Despite any connections to the publishing industry, all opinions on books and biscuits are completely our own here at Another Book Podcast. So let's dive into this week's episode. Welcome, Will Harris from Unbound, CEO, newly, somewhat newly appointed CEO. How somewhat, yeah, yeah, nine months. Nine just months. Just enough long okay. to gestate. Yes. Well, how did your career in publishing start? Um, so it's been an interesting one. I wouldn't necessarily say I've had a career in publishing so much as a career in um, in digital, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I, as a, as a teenager, I grew up um, reading computer magazines like a massive nerd <laughs> and so always wanted to be a journalist. Um, when I left university, I um, had a career as a freelance journalist covering um, Silicon Valley and really enjoyed kind of um, learning more about the sort of technology world and how, you know, 2007, 2008, YouTube was becoming a thing and Twitter was becoming Mm -hmm. a thing and how the world of digital was affecting all these traditional media businesses that we looked at, you know, it was sort of 2007, it came for, for, for television with YouTube, and then through sort of 2012 and 13, it was coming for magazines and coming for newspapers. So I started as a technology journalist covering Silicon Valley. I got excited about the idea of YouTube in 2007 and started a um, a TV production company that was oh, wow. just that just produced things for YouTube which at the time was mostly just um, dogs playing pianos and cats on skateboards. I mean, who doesn't love that kind of content? <laughs> who doesn't love that? But unfortunately, it wasn't the most kind of commercially friendly stuff. So no. um, Google was very keen to have sort of more pro-grade stuff. So I started a company called Channel Flip where we recruited traditional TV talent into um, into making YouTube stuff. So we had some, um, some shows that we made that were quite big hits with David Mitchell and Richard Love Hammond. And we did a huge run with um, Ricky Gervais, which was brilliant. Oh, my goodness. So um, that kind of gave me a taste of um, the disruption, I suppose, that digital can bring to a traditional industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I went from there to go and work at um, Condé Nast, which publishes great magazine publisher, which has, you know, GQ, Vogue, incredible. Wired, these incredible brands that I think it's probably fair to say um, in 2014 weren't that strong in the digital space, mm-hmm. were being kind of having their um, having their lunches handed to them by the kind of vice and refinery 29s of the world. So I went there to try and work out how to bring digital to magazine publishing, mm-hmm. and we did that quite successfully. Um, I went from there to... Um, start a podcast company where we were trying to work out the pain points for traditional media companies 
um, in producing podcasts um, and the, 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 ch- the technological challenges around distribution and advertising and measurement. And we had, um, we partnered with um, everybody as diverse as um, The Guardian through to uh, The Daily Mail, through to people from The Only Way is Essex or Made in <laughs> Chelsea. Um, and I saw sort of then firsthand how digital was disrupting the radio industry, how on demand was um, was really changing the way that people thought about radio. Um, and then after that, I got asked to come and do this role as CEO of Unbound because, you know, I think it's pretty clear that what digital means for the publishing industry is is going to be huge. And so um, having done, I suppose, television, magazines, newspapers and radio, um, books for me is kind of the final that frontier what, of what, of what digital is left to do. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because when I think about, like, Condé Nast and, you know, specifically Vogue, because that's growing up reading it, um, it's just, it is so print-heavy. Like, I, I would never, initially never thought to read it online. Like, they are, you know, and it is kind of a, a work of art in its print. So to kind of make it digital as kind of gorgeous as its print, I guess, is something that they had to work really hard for. Yeah, and really tricky because... Um... You know, when you think about Vogue, you think about the beautiful photography, you think about those big double-page spreads. Mm-hmm. Um, not something that's easy to reproduce, particularly on a phone screen, right? Yeah. So you have to think about how people um, are, are changing their consumption. Mm-hmm. And just because Vogue's double-page spread doesn't fit on a phone screen um, doesn't mean you should try and contort you know, try and try and lean against the fact that everybody's on their phones because you're not going to change the fact that everyone's on their phones. The question is, what does that mean for the evolution of what brand Vogue means? Yeah. And I think in many ways, you know, as we look at publishing, it's like not how do we stop people using their phones or stop people using the internet because that's clearly not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's how do you lean into that change and use it to enhance what you do not compromise or, or throw away what you do. Yeah. And I think as well, like in terms of thinking like that, you think ebooks and electronic reading is kind of the way forward, but actually Unbound have gone, well, not just that, but the way in which we acquire books is just going to be completely different to any other company. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. So it's probably worth, you know, ebooks are interesting because they are. Um, fundamentally the same product in a different format mm-hmm. i think you could probably say that something like vogue.com is a is, is quite a different product in a different format from the magazine when it comes to unbound you know i think we saw the opportunity that digital had to um to kind of disrupt not necessarily the the end product which at the end of the day is is still a book but kind of the industry of how you got there mm-hmm. and i think publishing um like a lot of traditional media industries is not that diverse. Um, you know, there's, there's sort of four or five big publishers and then lots of indies. Um, it's difficult to break new authors. It's mm-hmm. difficult to make commercial successes out of niche books. And I think if there's one thing you can say about the internet, it's that it is diverse by its very nature. Yeah. Um, it is, in many cases, very niche by its nature. It's never been easier to kind of find your tribe yes. um, than on the internet. I think we felt with Unbound, you know, 
let's let's lean into that as a as a business model rather than you know trying to say oh god how do we stop people people spending time on tiktok and, and yeah. reading books and yeah get get rather than like getting them off their phone how can they interact with the publisher in a completely new way to, exactly. to get a book kind of going forward exactly so for us um the unbound model became okay how can we use the internet to create um kind of a win-win-win situation for readers and authors and for us as a business so um for for listeners who don't kind of know much about what we do unbound.com is a is a platform where we we're a sort of a we'd like to think we're a, a publishing company for the digital age Mm -hmm. so we we work in many ways like a traditional publisher we will go out and find authors and commission books that we think are um are really strong have got really strong interest bases and then rather than sort of pay a huge advance and then take it to press and take it through the editorial process what we do is put it up on unbound.com and kind of like if you're familiar with kickstarter where you can sort of pledge to sort of you know certain amounts of money to make a project happen um, each of our books is run like a little Kickstarter project and you can pledge to say, I'd like to buy this book. And every book comes with different pledge levels. Like I'd like to buy this ebook for, you know, maybe seven or eight pounds. I'd like to buy the hardback for 25 pounds. I'd like the signed version for 35 pounds. I'd like the version that comes with beautifully um, hand printed um, art postcards for 55 pounds all the way through to, you know, reward levels that go up into the thousands of pounds wow. so um we have just um we had a fantastic project by an author called jackie morris and one of the pledge levels was for 1250 pounds you could go on a studio tour of her art studio oh amazing and suddenly you're you know it, it's a it's a it's a different world so we think for the reader not only do you get the chance to get an interesting book but you get the chance to get an experience or a or a thing that you wouldn't otherwise have that otherwise mm-hmm. wouldn't exist. So, you know, to try and go and see Jackie Morris's studio would be pretty impossible. Yeah. But as part of a pledge level for a book, we can make that happen. So for a reader, that's kind of a win. And they get to go on the journey of the book being made then over the next kind of 12 yeah. months. Um, for us, um, as a business, um, it does a couple of things. It A, it de-risks the that process of what's going to work what doesn't work mm. um the sort of you know the 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 hits and misses game that kind of traditional publishers play they're um, really stressful yes very stressful. <laughs> very stressful aspects of the job um and the fact that um you're putting something up and you know you're getting people to pledge for it a it allows you to be a little bit more risky and a little mm. bit more courageous because it means you can um you know you're not you're not going to take a loss on something that doesn't work. So it means that the things that do work can be kind of more courageous. Enables us to be a lot more diverse. So last year we launched um, Unbound First, which was a an imprint for um, debut writers of colour. And that's Amazing. something that we can do because that thing gets funded in advance by, by readers, which is really exciting. And then for authors, it's an opportunity to... Um, a, maybe publish books that wouldn't have a home in a traditional um, publisher. So we end up with quite a lot of authors who um, have got a passion project in their back pocket 
and their you know their traditional publisher and their agent wants them to write you know another fiction book but actually what they want to do is this weird little thing on the side <laughs> that they and think this might have five readers or 500 readers exactly <laughs> And so um, it enables them to do creative things that they couldn't do otherwise. And really crucially, because you can, you know, pledge for the book um, upfront through Unbound.com, it gives those authors a direct connection to their readers that they mm-hmm. wouldn't otherwise have. Um, you know, in many ways, publishers act as, a, as an intermediary. And by pledging for a book, you are directly, you know, connecting with that author you get author updates all the way through the sort of production process um so it's kind of a yeah a win for for all three kind of people in that equation it really makes you feel as a reader that that's quite like it's like a more intimate process yes It's, it's like you've been let into a submissions meeting and it's like right here are these books that we love but should we take them to press and you're like yep I I say yes to this one. Exactly. And it kind of hits on two things. Um, One is that there's a great, um, from my time at at Condé Nast, I always remember Kevin Kelly, who's a fantastic writer, wrote um, sort of an article that became a book, I think, about um, a thousand true fans. And it was the idea that if as a creative person, you have a thousand people who are willing to pay a hundred dollars every year to, to support your art, like, that's a that's a career. Yeah. Um, so what we've kind of done is take that principle and blow it up to an industrial scale. Um, so, so interesting. So I think the um, you know and and when that book does get funded, what the you know we compare ourselves to Kickstarter a little bit because of that sort of pledge level mm-hmm. and, and the upfront backing kind of thing. Um, what you then get is, as an author, all the support of a traditional publishing house, all the editing, yeah. all the production support. You know, we handle all the distribution. We put it in Waterstones and Barnes and & Noble and Amazon and all those kind of things. So you really get the full publishing experience, but you also get the advantage of this direct relationship with your customers and the ability to provide things to your readers that they wouldn't otherwise get, you know, mm. if they just walked into a bookshop. I mean, that was going to be one of the things I asked. So do you have, like, a, a kind of a handful of editors and then proofreaders and publicists? Oh, yeah. So, you know, as, when I say we're a, a, a publisher for the, you know, for the digital age, there's still an emphasis on publisher. Yeah. So we have a commissioning team, an editorial team, mm. a production team, a sales team, a distribution team, who are all kind of doing the roles that you would expect in a traditional publisher. Yeah. It's just that that, that upfront piece of, of finding the books, commissioning them and getting them pledged for upfront is, is a very different and much more transparent and much more diverse process than your average submissions meeting in your average publisher. Uh, yeah, for I mean, for sure, <laughs> comparing to us, like when it's it's such a small team and and you're just really kind of hoping it it works and you're really kind of you are putting yourself out there. I think especially the editors who the commissioning editors, like we've we've got three, and you know they really kind of put themselves on the line and they really you know believe in their authors and they want it to do well. But until like you know you get a sense online now this is a thing Mm -hmm. as well you get a sense online in the lead up as to whether there's going to be a market for it but until the book is actually published you're you never know how it's going to do and it's so stressful (laughs) and you believe in something so much and you're just like oh but you know what if I see something in it that somebody else doesn't and I think that's an interesting you know certainly an interesting challenge for us is you know when we look at um what we want to commission or people that we think might have a book in them 
the um, we're not, you know, you can believe in an author, but actually the the, the proof is in the pudding, right? To people mm-hmm. buy it, and in our case, it's to people pledge for it. And if people don't pledge for it, um, it won't happen. And that is um, is so the proof is in the pudding in that yeah. sense. On the other hand. It enables you to go fishing for authors in pools of, of talent that you would just never otherwise expect. Yeah. So, you know, we funded um, super quickly last year um, a debut memoir by a fantastic um, woman called Ariel Anderson who chronicled her journey from being growing up as a Jehovah's Witness um, to becoming a, a BDSM fashion model. Wow. <laughs> Which is like, okay. Quite the, quite the stretch. Yeah, quite, quite a life. Yeah, quite a life. No wonder she's written a memoir. Um, <laughs> so, you know, but that's, you know, it's, you know, one end of the scale. On the other end of the scale, we've got someone like Tom Cox, um, who is an incredible journalist who wanted to move into fiction. And because we've, you know, got that direct connection with Tom Cox's fan base... That was a group of people that were ready to support his move into fiction. Mm-hmm. And so um, his debut um, novel last year, um, Villager, um, was fantastic for us. And we've just um, launched his second novel, 1983, um, I think last week, and it funded in a day. Wow. And so the ability to um, to reach those audiences and get them coming back for, for our repeat authors and also get them to support... Um, you know, to to dive into the areas of the internet where you can find people that you wouldn't necessarily expect to be authors. Yes. Um, I think, you know, again, it's what the internet makes possible. And I think as well, like, that as an author, I can't even imagine what it would be like. I've been on the website and it shows you, like, how much you've been able to fund and so many of them have gone way over what they needed to be funded. And as an author, you must just... That must fill you with so much joy to see, (laughs) like physical evidence that so many people believe in your book and what you've written before they've even read it like they're just being kind of presented with a concept i assume rather than an actual yeah i think there's a um a mixture of of joy and pressure yeah i I think some of our authors then feel oh my gosh um for us you know stop funding me (laughs) yeah um a hundred you know funding a hundred percent means the book's going to happen yeah um, funding, you know, above a hundred percent means it's going to do well and it's going to make some real money for us. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, we had um, a book that came out the tail end of last year um, called "The Decade in Tory," again by a debut writer, um, Rush Jones, who just had a very successful Twitter um, uh, Twitter feed that was all sort of chronicling, you know, the the various he he wrote in a very satirical way about the misdeeds of the 10 years of the of the conservative government and um that had so much sort of overfunding it went into sort of 200 300 400 500 percent oh my god such that when when it actually released in november it went straight into the sunday times bestseller chart wow so um (laughs) you know so there's a there's a tangible kind of promotional advantage for mm-hmm. sure for for that kind of um 100 plus percent funding i mean that's incredible to go straight into a sunday times mm. bestseller as a debut mm. author is just insane yes that must have been such a moment for him and for you and yeah it's fantastic and we you know 
it, and it's amazing when you can find find those real gems. Mm. And I mean, this is you know, crowdfunding publishing is is so different. I personally like I did try to look, but I couldn't find any other publishers that are doing this. Do you think that like Unbound are laying the groundwork, and that there's going to be more crowdfunding publishers like coming up in the future? So um, Unbound has been around for ten years now, mm-hmm. and nobody's done it so far. Um, which either, well, it either means. Um, it's it's a very difficult thing to do, or it's a terrible model. <laughs> um, I don't think it's the second. I think it is difficult to do, and we've seen um, publishers do um, you know little bits of innovation around digital. Mm-hmm. Certainly for marketing, you know, the growth of of BookTok as a marketing channel yeah. has been huge. Everybody now releases everything as a as an ebook, which isn't particularly inventive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's interesting people ask us kind of who our competitors are. And on the one hand, it's your traditional kind of independent publishing houses who are also going after interesting authors that you yeah. might find on the internet. On the other hand, it's platforms like Kickstarter or Indiegogo where you can get a project funded. Yeah. But nobody has put the two bits together to allow you to find a project, fund a project, and then deliver a project and then get it out into bookshops yeah. um, in quite the same way. It's, it's it's become quite a unique formula and has become, you know, will other people copy it? Um, they haven't so far. Yes. Um, and I That's think, pretty amazing. I, think I can definitely tell you that in 10 years um, we've made enough mistakes that <laughs> even if they were doubly as efficient as we were, if they started today, they wouldn't be any good for five years. Right. <laughs> so um, we feel pretty happy with where we are. Your 10th year has been your best year. <laughs> <laughs> it has been, it has been for sure. But I think, you know, when you think of kind of like books and technology, you do kind of instinctively think of them as two contrasting things, two things that may be butting heads a bit. So the, to, in order to be able to bring them together, I think you would have to have multiple mistakes and multiple things go wrong in order to iron out that gap because it is... And bridging that gap is going to have to be the future because of how much we rely on technology and everything nowadays. Yeah, and I think there is a, a common perception that... Um, I would say there's a there's a perception that technology and creativity can be at loggerheads, that um, technology kind of can lead to a dumbing down of creativity, to clickbait, to mm-hmm. you know, my first job was as a as a journalist, and I remember everybody thinking, um, you know, in in British journalism we have the uh, the great tradition of the tabloid headline, right? The sort of terrible puns and the yeah. and the <laughs> And when Google became the main source of traffic for new sites, I remember everybody saying, uh, "Google is the end of is the end of journalism headlines." It's you know, there's no more. Um, it was the Sun what won it, or you know, it mm-hmm. was it would just become X person does X thing, and how many times can I repeat the keyword in the headline yeah. so that Google will <laughs> the pick it up? Comes the out very very time. very descriptive, you know. Prince Charles writes to Prince Harry to ask him to give Frogmore Cottage to... And you're like, that's not a headline. You need, like, Charles kicks Hazza out of Frogmore pad, lily pad, you know. 
And when social media came along and then, you know, Twitter and Instagram became the big drivers, it was all about how could you get attention? Yeah. So it became, um, actually, we're, we're back to the age of the great British headline and the great mm-hmm. British kind of... So technology never does quite what you think it's going to do. We, th- we thought Google was going to kill journalism. In fact, it made it very much more accessible. We thought Twitter was going to be, um, you know, just lead to endless clickbait. In fact, it's led to incredible discovery. And I think when it comes to creativity, you know, the internet is a place to, to, to find your tribe and to find people who appreciate your creativity. Mm-hmm. It, it, it doesn't impinge on it. Yes, it's, it's, it's discovering a community you wouldn't otherwise discover. You know, there's you find readers from all over the world. We're always surprised by the fact that we have, you know, so many readers in India. Mm-hmm. And you just think, you know, if you if you didn't have that reach through social media, you never would have discovered this community. It, it is amazing. And no, and what sometimes the bigger companies mean by you know the internet is destroying pick it up at whatever X industry. What they mean is it's breaking the regional monopoly that they have had mm-hmm. over something. And the ability of the internet to democratise creativity doesn't ruin it, it just makes it more accessible. And you might argue that for some people who look backwards that is ruining it. Mm-hmm. But for us we think, you know, everybody's got the ability to be creative. And that's all we've got time for this week, but don't worry, we'll be releasing part two in two weeks' time, so don't forget to tune in. In the meantime, if you want to find out more about Unbound, what they do, and what new titles you could be a part of making, head over to unbound.com. As always, a big thank you to Will for being on the podcast, and thank you all for listening. If you like this week's episode, make sure to give us a rating and a review. It really does help us out. And if you share it on social media, make sure to tag us at legend underscore times on Instagram and at legend underscore times underscore on Twitter. Have a great Monday, everyone.